Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we've got an exciting guest. You may know him as Ned Belchinko or Neil Belchinko. The uh, Ned is a reference to the pseudonym that he raced under during this year's CTR. And we do talk a little bit about his decision to race under a pseudonym this year. What can I say about Neil Belchenko? He is truly a legend of the sport. He's been around for a long time and been very active both on the racing, the riding side, but also on the content creation and sharing the bikepacking stoke side of things. He is uh, just an all-around nice guy, very friendly, very positive, and he's also a badass. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I've looked up to him for a long time, and I appreciate him taking the time to come on the podcast and share a little bit about his story with you fine folks. Now, before we get to his episode, let's give a thank you to the people that help make these shows possible. Let's give a shout out to this week's newest patrons, starting with Terrence Bonzi, or it could be Terrence Bonzai. I'm going to go with Bonzai just for fun. Hope you don't mind, Terrence. Joseph Knight, Keaton Haney, James Turner, Bob Brill, Chris Claudfelter, and Vince Shoemaker. Big round of applause for all of the newest members over at Patreon getting access to the Bikes or Death After Party. And speaking of the Bikes or Death After Party, the next guest is confirmed and locked in. It's going to be Andrew Onerma. We're still nailing, nailing down a day and time, but we're shooting for next week. So if you're interested in being part of that episode, you're going to be able to participate, ask questions in real time, or just sit back, relax, and enjoy my follow-up interview with Andrew Onerma. You may think that we don't have much left to talk about after a three-hour podcast, but I'm sure we can find a couple things. He's actually had a lot uh, going on. He bought a new cabin in the Ozarks. He's starting a new job actually today. Um, there's a lot of, lot of new stuff going on, so we're going to catch up with him, and uh, I am looking forward to it. If you'd like to get access to that after-party episode with Andrew Onerma, you still have time. Head over to patreon.com forward slash bikes for death. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month, and you can feel good when you go to bed at night because you know that that dollar went to support the Bikes for Death podcast, and we appreciate it. We also have a couple messages from our sponsors today. And first up, we have Jessica here from Rock Guys that's going to talk to us about fabrics and some fabric options that they have available for you at rockgeist.com. But before we talk about fabric, why don't you tell us what you do over there at Rockgeist? So I work on the frame bags over here. So I do a lot of the cutting out and sewing. Um, I love seeing how they, they come together, seeing the customer's options, color options. Um, so I really like that I get to do some of the, the custom bags. Awesome. Well, tell us about some of your new fabrics that y'all have over there. Yeah, so we just expanded our fabrics to include 39 choices with our newest additions from EcoPack, and we got an organic cotton duck X-Pack fabric. That is a lot of options. It sounds overwhelming. Yeah, it's not a big deal. You can just head to the fabric page on rockguys.com. 
where we explain the differences between all the fabric types and why you might select one type over another. Honestly, y'all do an excellent job of educating the consumer on your website. It's a wealth of information. So, okay, give me a few quick examples of how these fabrics differ. Yeah, so the EcoPack is made from recycled polyester and the X-Pack is mostly made in the USA. My favorite is the Organic Cotton Duck X-Pack, which gives a nice canvas look while still being a waterproof fabric. It's made with organic cotton and no harmful chemical coatings. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite ones that I've been looking at. And I'm going to be ordering a new bag from you guys pretty soon. And Newsflash, that is definitely what I'm going to be going with. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to try it. I know Rock Guys already has an extensive fabric selection, and it sounds like this is going to go above and beyond. Yeah, it's fun to see how the fabrics have improved and the selections have increased over the years. We also have some new colorful fiber flight zipper options as well. So it'll be really cool to see all the new custom bags and different variations that people get to put together. Sweet. Yeah, I saw the uh, zippers that y'all posted the other day too, and those look sick. So really with all those fabric options and the zipper options, it's almost unlimited what you guys can do over there. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about the new fabrics. And yeah, for anybody who wants to go learn more about all these fabrics that we talked about and more, rockgeist.com. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Today's episode is also brought to us by one of our newest sponsors and one that I am excited about. That's Quadlock. Now, I started using Quadlock several years ago as part of my efforts to just simplify going on a bike ride. I have found that I got to a place where I felt like I needed all of the newest technology, the fanciest you know, bike computer, you know, the heart rate monitor and the watts thing and all this stuff. And, you know, I think that's great for some people, but I just found for me, it all became a distraction. And I started to just try to simplify and break down all those, you know, quote unquote barriers to entry of going on a bike ride. You know, for me, that's looked like getting rid of the gears on one of my bikes and switching to flat pedals and just wearing regular clothes. You know, I, I literally can just hop off the couch, decide I want to go to a, on a bike ride. I put my iPhone in my quad lock and I'm literally ready to go. All I have to do is throw on a helmet. That's literally the only thing I need to do to go on a bike ride. And I don't have to worry about if my lights are charged, that's another reason why I have the Dynamo and K-Light system is I don't ever have to worry about charging it. I don't ever have to worry about charging my bike computer or losing my bike computer or running out of batteries on a ride or, or whatever. It just, for me, I found it just became one more thing that didn't have anything to do with what I really wanted to be doing, which was just riding my bike. And so for me, over the last few years, I have turned to Quadlock. I've been using their cases on my iPhones. I've used them on all kinds of adventures, bikepacking trips. I even use their car mount in my van. If you're looking to simplify your ride experience, it's worth checking out Quadlock. And if you have any questions about what I do or why I do it, just shoot me a message. I'm happy to talk about it. 
Quadlock is a sponsor that I personally sought out because I have been using their products for so long and I really do like them. And I'm very excited to have them as a sponsor on this podcast and looking forward to sharing more of some great products and tips and tricks from Quadlock in the future. All right, that's it. Bills have been paid. Debts have been settled. And now it is time to get to the show. So let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. How do you take to um, the content creation side of all this? I don't mind that at all. Um, it's kind of par for the course. It's part of it. I think the biggest thing uh, is just like dedicating time because I can't just be like working 20 minutes and then getting up and then doing another 20 minutes. It has to be like when I edit like a talking head for one of my videos or if I'm doing an interview, I just need to like sit down and just get it done. And that's why I definitely try to keep keep it like an hour um, just because it is a little bit less work on my end, but at the same time, if it's a, if it's a, like a good interview, I don't really do too many interviews in the first place, but it, if it is a good interview, I try to, uh, I'll just go as long as it, as it takes really, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. It's hard to cut them off. I've gotten into them sometimes where you're just, you know, just start talking and you deal with it later, but that's okay. A uh, little bit more editing never hurt anybody, I guess. Actually, you know, it is kind of a it is kind of shitty to like be working on you know adventure cycling stuff and the outdoors and just be stuck inside and all you want to do is be going outside. So there can't be a little bit of FOMO as you're going through it. Yeah, you know that's part of it. I think at the same time it's like, well, your work is revolving around bikes in some way, shape, or form. So I think that's kind of a it's a pretty cool, cool job, you know, and uh, even if you're not on pedaling your bike on your bike, you know, it's like, it's probably the next best thing, right? A hundred percent. It's definitely the next best thing. And I, I'm always quick to point that out to myself too. Anytime I'm like feeling bad for myself, I'm like, no, because it, it's a lot. I, I don't know if most people realize how much work goes into the bag. I certainly didn't whenever I got into you know, creating content for bikepacking and stuff. I had no idea how much work goes on behind the scenes. But yeah, I'm always quick to uh, to just point out to myself that number one, nobody asked me to do this. I'm doing it because right. I want to and I love this shit, you know, so let's get real. <laughs> right, exactly. It's well, a choice. Yeah, it's a choice. Talking about choices, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to you and uh, Lindsay. Y'all are expecting a, a baby soon, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, real soon, actually. Um, I didn't know that you knew that. That's awesome. Yeah, we're expecting probably uh, next week, maybe. We'll see what happens. So, yeah, we're pretty pumped for sure. Yeah, so I know you could never be ready uh, to be a parent, but are you excited, nervous? How you feeling? Definitely more excitement. Um, 
we know how challenging it's going to be. I know it's going to be kind of a roller coaster of a first few weeks for sure. Uh, before we get into a groove, um, it's yeah, it's it's definitely more excitement than nerves. But you know, there's always a little bit of nervousness around any new endeavor that you take on. But as of right now, like I'm way more, I was way more nervous be- before the Colorado Trail Race than I am currently with expecting a newborn. So. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but either way, uh, yeah, we're, we're pumped for sure. That's interesting. I'm going to ask you more about that later. Cause that's very curious. Um, do you know if you're having a boy or a girl? We're having a little boy. Oh yeah. Do you got a name picked out? We got a name picked out and everything's, uh, nursery set up. Everything's good to go. So Are you, can you share the name and everything or is that going to be a surprise? That's going to be a surprise for sure. All right. I figured, I figured I had to ask. Well, I'm excited for y'all. I, um, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm a father of two girls and it's a whole different endurance sport, you know, but, yep. um, you guys will be great at it. I actually probably didn't read this, but you know, I first met y'all at the bikepacking summit. Y'all were yep. super kind to bring me in when I was like a greenhorn podcaster and to just kind of scope out the event. And, uh, that event, was illuminating for me. It was so well done. Y'all put on, you know, excellent speakers, education, you know, the the ride that was incorporated into it. And in my post write up, I referred to y'all as bikepacking mom and dad. And so uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not but like a cool mom and dad, you know, not a not sure. a not a shitty mom and dad, but um yeah, y'all just y'all fostered such a, an incredible environment and and it really did feel like a big family. I mean, people were crying, people were hugging, and there was just a lot of positive vibes going on there. Yeah. So honestly, man, I just wanted to thank you uh, for bringing me into that event and also creating such a, a wonderful event that it, that fostered so many um, amazing experiences, not just for me, but man, y'all had like 80 people come to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Appreciate the kind words. And I'm glad that kind of helped transition your like your new work, which is pretty exciting. But yeah, I mean, it's for events like that, you know, it's it's all about community and um, the bikepacking community is super small, but it's very vibrant and rich and personal. And um, so, yeah, between the crying and the laughing and all the, just the, you know, the different types of people that were there, it was, it it really is a, uh, an awesome event. And hopefully we can do another one here soon. COVID's definitely kind of, derailed the event definitely last year. And then this year, just we weren't a hundred percent sure what was going to, what was going to happen. So we didn't do it this year. So I'm starting to feel like motivated to actually put in the time to actually, you know, put it together again. So hopefully we can get another solid crew together next fall. Yeah. Well, 2021 this year is still weird. I mean, obviously COVID's not gone, and y'all are also having a baby. And I know uh, Lindsay is a big part of the bikepacking summit. Um, so I can imagine y'all yep. just have your your plates full. But um, I'll be looking forward to see it come back for sure whenever you're ready. Perfect. Yeah. Do you hear uh, Matt Mason's doing a bikepacking summit? The monumental loop guy. Oh, I actually, yeah, the New Mexico or no. 
Yeah. So I saw something about New Mexico. Okay. It is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. I saw that like it was like a day or something like that. And yeah, um, that's great. I think it's, I think anything to kind of foster new roots and to create a positive vibe towards bikepacking and just getting more people under the stars is A plus in my book. 100%. Yeah, I didn't think you'd look at it as competition. I I thought it was a great idea because I know one thing y'all did with the summit and will probably continue to do is move the geographic locations to make it more accessible to more people. And so, you know, it makes sense if communities can come together and do their own little events. Yeah, more people on bikes, more people under the stars, as you say. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know as Matt and I'll have to reach out to him because I did see it briefly on social media the other day and I was like, awesome. Uh, but I just didn't have time to kind of check into it. So yeah, Matt's a good dude and uh, I'm sure he'll put on a great event. Oh, it's going to be good. They're going to have all the New Mexico like bike packers. They'll have John Watson, Bailey Newbury, Shell Monet or Money, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, so it'll be a good crew and they're, I'm going to, I'm going to be there too, um, checking things oh, out. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it'll be good. Well, I'm happy to hear the uh, bikepacking summit's going to keep rolling on in the future. I know things have been kind of difficult, but I, man, it was such a great event. And I'm not just saying that, like it, it, it was my favorite bikepacking experience, at least in a group, you know, I don't know. I've, I always do a lot of solo trips, but, um, man, for a big group of people to get together like that, it was a plus that night. Before the summit, that bikepacking trip that we put on was, it was awesome to just talk to so many just strangers and then they became friends and it was just a, yeah, it was a really eye-opening kind of experience. One that I've never really partook in before because it's, it was so many people in one little spot uh, and we all bikepacked to the same place and it was, yeah, it was special for sure. Well, it's what really illuminated my mind to... You know, it took bikepacking, which the reason I started a podcast was to start to just ask the questions and hear the stories from people that you might only get an Instagram post out of or or a blog post or whatever. But, you know, really get to like know these people. And I, like you, I'm just fascinated uh, with the sport of bikepacking, with people's abilities to overcome so many obstacles and challenges and and you do it on your own you know i mean it's it's truly an impressive thing that people who do this are capable of doing and that was the first time i was in a group and i was like wow it's like everybody who does this is is cool everyone who does this is here for the right reason it, it felt that way you know and i've yet to meet too many shitty bike packers i don't know what your experience has been but it seems like they're all pretty pretty rad folks yeah, I mean, in outdoor industry folks in general, even backpackers, like most of them are pretty awesome. So yeah, I definitely, yeah, I, I, they're few and far between the bad eggs for sure. That's a good, very good point. Well, let's see here. What do you do for a living? Let's say you're at a party and someone doesn't know you. What do you tell them you do for a living? I tell them, uh, and this is kind of new, it's probably been a year and a half now, but I tell them I make videos for an online publication dedicated to bikepacking. So yeah, I basically make video content for bikepacking.com, uh, for bikepacking.com's YouTube channel. Yeah, we started doing this in basically at the beginning of COVID. So March, two years ago. And you can go to our YouTube channel and see how crappy my first videos were and how I just didn't have a clue what, what I was doing. And I think that they've definitely improved um, 
since then. And, um, and you can probably see that for yourself, but yeah, that's, that's what I do. It's really fun. I really enjoy sharing the knowledge I have, but really just helping get folks, at least giving folks the knowledge to get out, uh, and bike pack. Yeah. So in that answer, um, ultra endurance cyclist isn't, isn't listed as, as your job. No, I wouldn't consider it. It's more of a hobby. I really enjoy bike pack racing, but it's just not really a money maker. You know, it's not going to support me long term. Uh, so I don't think of it as a job. I think of it more as um, a hobby and um, something super fun to do. And I really enjoy racing from time to time. But at the same time, I really just love riding my bike. And most of the time, that's not racing. That's awesome, man. That's cool to hear that that's going to appeal to everyone. We're all here just because we love riding our bikes. I wonder how many people know how long you've been in not only bikepack racing and been bikepacking, but also like content creating. Whenever I came on the scene, the bikepacking scene, I mean, I, I just got into it like 2017. I think I learned about it in 2016 and did my first one in 2017. But at that time, you were running bikepacker.com. You and Lindsay were both running, or is it bike.com or .net? So yeah, bikepacker... Well, first it was bikepackersmagazine.com. We launched that, I think, in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. And it was just based out of a necessity because there wasn't really enough, like, there wasn't enough content online. Bikepacking.com was around. That's Scott Morris's forum and website. And that's awesome. That's been a great resource. It still is, actually. Uh, but we wanted to do something more based around like online publication. We wanted to share folks in the industry. So bag makers, we wanted to highlight people that were racing their bike at a high level. We wanted to highlight, you know, adventurers that were taking on really awesome bike packing trips throughout the world. And we also wanted to start sharing routes because there wasn't a place for that. So we started doing that actually before bikepacking.com. Uh, Logan did a really good job with pedaling nowhere, but it was like more of a, more of just a personal blog, but we were, we were sharing routes and doing all this stuff, basically what bikepacking.com is doing currently. And Lindsay and I did that for quite a few years. I don't know, like three or four years. And then we like got different jobs and it, it was tough because we started from scratch and it just didn't, didn't really work out. So long story short, we, basically merged with bikepacking.com. And um, yeah, since then, all of the content kind of, some of it transferred over to bikepacking.com on our website, but you can kind of still see it on, um, you could search, I think it's like bike packer because we changed the name eventually. And, but yeah, it, it was, it was really cool. And, um, and that's kind of where I started actually doing video content. I started doing like first look videos on all the bags I got. And then, and then I would do a written review on the bags afterwards. And yeah, and you can actually still find that on the current YouTube channel that we merged over. Uh, but the content isn't very good. And I say, ah, and, ah, and, ah, all the time. And <laughs> Oh man, well, it just shows it takes a long time. I mean, I've, I've learned I'm, I'm, 
always trying to get better. But if you listen to yourself enough, if you record yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, I sound like an idiot. And uh, people like criticize me. I'm like, trust me, I know I don't like what I say either half the time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's totally true. And when, you, when you're editing yourself, you basically figure out what you need to say and what you shouldn't be saying. And the pauses and the extra words, and I still do it and it's fine, but it's easy to edit out as well. But yeah, I mean, the more you do it, the better you get. Yeah. Well, that's what I want. I mean, so y'all started that in 2014. And so you've been on the content creation, storytelling, you know, inspiring other people's side of bikepacking for a long time. Has that just been intentional? Is it something you just really enjoy doing? Yeah, I think it's something I enjoy doing. I think the whole motto when we started the website, Lindsay and I, was let's try to inspire more people and highlight the people that are in the industry. It's a small industry. There's not very many people. So let's, let's highlight these people and, um, and hopefully we can help, you know, for bag makers, help sell some bags or for uh, boutique manufacturers, help sell bikes, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, it's always been just, I don't know, help people out. And it, I don't know, we're, we're, we're always motivated to, to doing that. And I think it's, fun. So yeah. why not? As an interviewer, do you, would you rather be um, asking the questions or getting interviewed? Uh, well, that's a good question too. I'm rarely interviewed. So I probably am more comfortable asking the questions than being interviewed. So yeah, I'd go with that. You know, for bike packers and bike packing, we're not highlighted that much in the cycling world. So when it does happen, when I get interviewed, I'll, I'll definitely... I'll be happy to do that because I think uh, it just gives a little bit more recognition to not only say like the racing side of things, but just bikepacking in general. And I think that's important for the cycling industry. Yeah, I I echo what you're saying. I, I'd rather be asking the questions generally than getting asked them. But it, mostly it's just I've only been interviewed a few times and, and I, I also haven't I'm just a regular cyclist, you know, on many levels and uh, don't have a lot of accomplishments and I haven't been doing it for 10 years. So I don't, I just don't feel like I'm probably the person to be interviewed for a lot of stuff. Maybe. I don't even think that matters so much as just like, if you have the skill set and the, um, and the drive and the willingness to share other people's story, I think that's important and that's what you're doing. So, you know, if you look at everybody who goes bikepacking, there's only some that are able to be at the pointy end of a race, you know, it's like the smallest percentage, you know, but most of them are just going out on a weekend trip and enjoying camping with their bike, with their buddies or whatever. And, you know, that's pretty much my speed. And so I think people can relate to that. <laughs> yep, exactly. But, and that's, a, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, it, it just shows like you're saying that this community is so, um, open and welcoming. And I say it all the time, man, you know, more people doing anything in this community is a, is a great thing. The field is ripe for picking and there's lots of opportunities to, to share the stoke and to tell people about, um, about it. I want to go back to the very beginning. I know, you know, we're going to talk about Colorado trail here, but your first bike packing trip, not a race, I believe was Colorado Trail 2012. Can you tell me how and when bike packing was put on your radar? And yeah, let's start there. Well, all right. So that's a good 
question. Uh, it's not easily answered. I think the the first time I was introduced to bikepacking was the racing because I used to live in Crested Butte, Colorado, and that's where I started cycling or mountain biking. I've been cycling my whole life, but there was a local named Hefe Branham. I'm sure plenty of uh, plenty of listeners out there know who that is, but Hefe was. Uh, living in Gunnison, he still lives in Gunnison, and he was doing the Tour Divide in, I think it was 2010 or 2011, I can't remember the exact year, but he was the local guy taking on the Tour Divide. And so we were all glued to the tracker because he was kicking butt, he was single speed, and he, yeah, he ended up taking second that year, and he was just a big inspiration to not only me, but a, a lot of people around. But I kind of took it uh, a, a step further and I was like, all right, I want to be like Hefe. And um, and so, yeah, basically I knew I had to get into bikepacking some way. So I ended up taking on uh, the Colorado Trail with a friend in 2012 and we did it in 10 days. Uh, enjoyed every single bit of it, even though it's super challenging. But that was an eye-opening trip. And it, it probably was, we probably bit off a bit too much because realistically, you're not going to do the Colorado Trail for your first bikepacking trip, but living in Crested Butte, you know, living at 9,000 feet, the altitude thing wasn't an issue. Both my buddy Mike and I had plenty of kind of stamina and muscle under our legs. We we were racing a little bit like 100-mile underground races in in the Gunnison Valley there, so that was something that uh, probably helped, but that was that was my first bikepacking trip, and I wouldn't change it for anything. It was it was a special special moment. I didn't know you uh, completed that one in 2012. That's that's impressive. I was going to ask um, how that trip went, but yeah, ten days on the Colorado Trail. I can't imagine you walked away feeling anything other than man, just in awe and also a, a sense a sense of pride and accomplishment. We were pretty excited. Uh, <laughs> we really enjoyed that beer at uh, Junction Creek Trailhead in Durango, for sure. Yeah. Did you get some uh, tips from old Hefe before uh, heading out on that trip? I had never met Hefe. I, I just knew that he was a local. He lived in Gunnison. So after that, we got to know each other. I kind of he was working at Rock and Roll Sports in Gunnison, and I. Even though I lived in Crested Butte, I always brought my bike to him because I wanted, it was like my excuse to go down and like talk to Hefe. And it was just like, it was awesome. I probably wasted Dave Moe, the owners, the money there a little bit, wasting uh, Hefe's time, you know, every, every week or every other week or so. But that's when I met Hefe. And basically after that, kind of the rest is history. I took on the Arizona Trail race in 2013 and that was my first bikepacking race. And I was hooked ever since. Have you always leaned more towards, you know, racing instead of just, you know, going into it? I mean, you're obvious. I mean, you have many records. You're everybody knows who you are from from racing um, and also probably bikepacking.com. But what is it that, that like pushed you to want to like race it and push yourself instead of just going out and riding it? Yeah, well, a little bit of it was that that racing background when I started riding bikes again in like 2010 i started just signing up for races locally and wanting to just push myself i kind of knew that i was i was young and i i was somewhat fast like i i knew that i was stacking up against 
some of these racers that have been racing a while, I was doing pretty good, I guess. Uh, and so that was kind of the motivation behind racing and being able to basically ride your bike all day and night, cover a ton of ground, being able to see the lay of the land. It, it was kind of a cool way of traveling really quickly and enjoying the landscapes. But at the same time, that kind of got out of hand. And at, at one point during racing, I stopped like even taking photos and stuff like that for bikepacking races. And I was like, this is getting, this is getting silly. I'm kind of losing like, you know, the point here. I always have my head down and stuff like that. So I, I quickly got rid of that like idea. Now, are you saying you, you have your own line of like between, okay, this isn't fun anymore. And you know, now I'm still having fun and, and I'm still enjoying the experience. Yeah, I just try to like enjoy it as much as I can and still push myself really hard and just take the phone out every so often and record a video or or take some photos because it's you don't want to forget those moments. Can we talk about that a little bit because that's one thing is again, I've I've done one race in my life and it was a great experience and it it taught me a lot about my own capabilities and stuff, but I I'm not super eager to go out there and push myself. I don't have that same drive to do it in that same way. And one of the things is I always think, well, I feel like it would take away from my own personal enjoyment of the experience. So can you talk about how, you know, you race, but also make sure that you're enjoying the the experience? I think the biggest thing is like training and preparing really well, because I kind of, ha- I do have some high standards for myself when it comes to racing. And I think I put way too much pressure on myself because of that now. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact of past results and, at some point it's like, I'm all right, I'm going to have to just like let go because it's like, it kind of gets stressful. But yeah, on the other side of that, it's like, all right, I'm out here for a few days. I'm not going to just like put my head down and race like it's a 12 hour race because A, that's not sustainable and B, I'm really not out here for that. So yeah, being able to just look around and be, and like I talk to myself out there, I'm like, damn. This is beautiful. Like when I was in the San Juans uh, day one, I was having a ball. Like I was just really enjoying myself just because the weather this year wasn't that bad. And I just was looking around. I was like, I don't know if there's any better landscape, any better mountain range in the world to ride a bike because it is, it's stunning. So just being able to, you know, tell myself that talk out loud, talk to myself a little bit and, and take the phone out and, and snap a video or a photo or two and and just make sure that that memory is ingrained in the back of my head. And that that's kind of what that, that voice does or talking to myself does because it's like, yeah, I don't want to forget it. And it's it's a special moment. So that's something I definitely do. But to go back to your previous question about like racing versus not racing, I think I love racing and I, I think it's a... Uh, a really fun way of pushing the limits and kind of figuring out yourself a little bit. It's a great workout and, and all that. And it's kind of probably not so great of a workout for your body. Um, just a lot of stress on the body. I probably take away just as much joy in a seven day or like a week long bikepacking trip with friends where I'm, you know, sleeping six, seven hours a night, laughing enjoying some hike bike with friends, enjoying some really fun single track, enjoying a meal in town with friends uh, for an hour or two, just like chilling out, drinking beer, you know, bringing the whiskey along. So yeah, I think there's a fine balance. And I think 
hopefully, you know, this year, this year was actually a good balance of that. And I did more regular bike packing than racing and I'll probably end up doing that in the future. That totally makes sense. And I definitely get the itch. Um, there's many times, especially when I'm talking to people where, man, I want to go out there and I want to push myself and I want to find my limits again. And I want to, I want to either succeed or fail by my own efforts, my own training and, and whatever I put into it. I'm curious about, you talked about your training and your level of preparedness for these events. What, what is your comfortability, you know, on, let's say the Colorado trail race with, you know, the physical effort, the conditions, the sleep deprived, I mean, you've been doing this a while. So do you think a part of your ability to enjoy it is that you've, you have more comfortability in some of these areas? I think being able to do a route uh, multiple times just makes it a little bit easier. At the same time, unknown terrain ahead kind of pushes you a little bit more or pushes you in a way that you're like, I don't know what kind of pace I should go. So I'm just going to go kind of hard. But yeah, I think with the Colorado Trail, you know, I've done it, I've done it five times now. And over, over the course of, you know, a handful of years, you know, some people like Stremke, Andrew Stremke has done it four times now in two years. It's like, dude, unreal. But, uh, yeah, I think just knowing the terrain. Yeah. I don't, I don't even like take the, the data book anymore. I know where all the water, I know where I can get all the water. And yeah, I think it, I think it definitely does help, but it's definitely not necessary. And, and I think, yeah, altitude thing, you know, just training for, Altitude is important. You know, I was doing a, a lot of just high altitude weekends, bike packing overnighters uh, this summer just to get ready and climbing up Mount Evans a handful of times just to get up to 14,000 feet. It definitely helps. And I think if you want to go super fast, it's imperative. But it, even if you want to like be comfortable out there, I think it can't hurt. Yeah, I'm coming from sea level, so I need to spend like a week or two up there just uh, getting ready. That's one of the the hard things for me looking at doing an event like that. It's not only, you know, the time away from, you know, kids and everything, but it's like also, I mean, if you want to have any kind of fitness and get some altitude training and, you know, you're going to need a lot more time than that. So before we get to this year's Colorado Trail, I wanted to talk about one more race that you were in the 2015 tour divide if you remember that one i'm sure you do so i i, I want to come clean real quick to you and my audience i interviewed uh brendan heinig who was the second place finisher of this year's tour divide against jay peterberry and you'll know that this race was was a nail biter i mean those two guys couldn't get off each other's backs for the last 1500 miles or whatever it was and I, I thought that was the closest race in Tour Divide history until I was researching for this interview and I saw your 2015 Tour Divide race. So I need to apologize and amend my previous statement. But man, what can you tell us about that 2015 Tour Divide? What do you remember? I just remember sleeping in and uh, right before the last town, which I'm drawing a blank on in New Mexico, and Josh passed us. Uh, Jay and I, and we, we lost the race because of that reason. And it was like kind of the craziest thing. Well, we didn't lose the race because of that reason. I think Josh knows that he's a super strong rider and he was creeping up on us anyways. But yeah, that race was the most stressful thing I've ever dealt with. Imagine racing your bike for 
two weeks and it just being a nail biter the whole time, like leapfrogging. Um, just imagine like if you're a racer or you've biked, uh, if you've raced a bike before, imagine like someone always like being either behind you or right in front of you. And you just kind of stressing out about like, oh, I got I, I to gotta go harder. I got to go faster. I can't sleep as much or, you know, just got to crank on the pedals more. So I remember like calling my wife, calling Lindsay and it was outside of Grant's and I was like, this is silly. This is dumb. Like I've been racing my bike, literally racing my bike for two weeks. The cool thing about bike pack racing, side note here, is that you're racing your bike, but you're not really stressing out about the next person, you know, uh, for the most part. But for this race, I was. And and I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't gone back yet, because it, it was so stressful. But at the same time, it was really a rewarding experience. It was my first tour divide I've ever done. And I couldn't have, you know, my goal was like, what, 20 days. And I ended up finishing in 14 and a half. Like it doesn't get much better than that. And I was pretty lucky with a lot of things, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty wild experience for sure. That's exactly, uh, was Brennan's takeaway. You know, he didn't go into it expecting to be at the pointy end of the race. He wasn't expecting to be, you know, going back and forth with Jay Pitaberry or Pitaberry. It was draining on him, you know, and I can, it, it totally makes sense because you're always having to worry about that person in front of you or the person in back of you. And, you know, if they're 50 miles behind you, you're just not as worried, but when they're always leapfrogging, they're, they're always there. So, and I actually went back and, you know, on track leaders, you can rewatch and replay the races. So I, I rewatched that entire race and, uh, it was like, from the beginning almost it was just you guys never really um had much separation and so i can imagine it just wears on you over time yeah over two weeks you kind of would expect to have some solitude and just be able to go out there and ride your bike yeah i should mention it was it was a really awesome experience like being able to cover the that much ground uh being able to see parts of the nation i've never seen before i kind of focused on the difficult parts of that race but to be honest, it was a really cool experience, really awesome experience. And it's definitely on my radar to do again. I just don't know exactly when that's going to be, but it was going to be this year, but I wanted to get into Canada. And so I was like, all right, I got to, I got to do something. And now the Canadian border open, but I'm, I'm like always the type of person that wants to be in a race instead of like doing an ITT. So that was off the table. Why ITT versus or race versus ITT? Because I know your Colorado Trail record, I think you got as an ITT. So the reason behind that was I broke my shifter and I I had to stop uh, during the race. And so I started 24 hours after the race to get my shifter fixed. So it was kind of like in I was still kind of in the spirit of the race. Like I was with the racers. I was dealing with the exact same weather. That's kind of the thing about ITTs like you can kind of cherry pick and figure things out that way whereas like the race you're enduring this with the exact same type of people like the exact conditions all of that so and it's just more fun there's like more camaraderie and and all that so that's what I prefer I would too I've always been really impressed with anyone that goes out and does an ITT yeah it just it seems way harder Speaking of ITTs, we got Lael out there on the, uh, so as you mentioned, the border yeah. just opened and she timed it to where she could get up to Canada, yep. start from Banff. And uh, it, she's 
made a, a express goal of chasing down Mike Hall's record. So any thoughts on that? It's awesome. Um, no, I think, I know she's been training. Uh, I know she's, she's been eyeballing this for a long time. I mean, what, two years ago at the bikepacking summit, that's what she said. So I don't know if she can do it or not. Cause Mike was such a strong athlete and I don't know if that record's ever going down, but I hope it does. And if anybody should do it, and if anybody can do it, she can, because she's super, super strong. You know, I, I was, uh, someone messaged me on Instagram about it last night, and, and my response was, you know, every attempt at his record is is kind of a tribute to him. You know, I mean, whether you succeed or fail, I mean, it's every single time it's a it's a tribute to what he was able to do. And uh, I don't know if she can or can't do it. I mean, I... I I just want to see her have a good ride. Honestly, I'm a I'm a fan. I I'm a huge you know. Mike Hall for me was a big inspiration. Hefe, it sounds like it was a big inspiration for you locally, and just he was right there whenever I was kind of learning about bikepacking for the first time, and and also Lael. And so yeah, I'm just watching as a fan and wishing her a good ride. But it's it's exciting. Yeah, I think previous ITTs this April time frame is typically pretty good. I think right now, you know, obviously there's not going to be any snow. Uh, temperatures are pretty decent. It might be a little bit warm in the south, but you're dealing with those monsoon storms that come through that cool things down. So April or April, August uh, is, yeah, it's a, it's a great time. So hopefully she crushes it. And if it's a record, that is badass. What about the smoke she's having to deal with, though? How much do you think that's going to affect it? She'll, she'll definitely deal with it a little bit. Andrew, too, who's coming northbound, he, uh, I think he, his goal was Andrew Klamitsky or Klamitsky or something like that. I forget his last name, but he's on route right now and he's heading south to north. And I think he's gunning for that record. Um, and he was saying how he was dealing with smoke through Colorado and New Mexico. It really depends on the wind direction, but either way, she'll deal with it. And kind of to go back to the Colorado Trail this year, I dealt with it the last two days and I'm still dealing with like respiratory distress. So if you're, if you're hammering really hard, it's definitely going to irritate the lungs for sure. So hopefully, hopefully the wind, uh, the wind direction, um, escapes her and hopefully, uh, she doesn't have to deal with it. We'll be watching. It'll be interesting for sure. All right, buddy, I'm ready to get into this year's Colorado Trail Race. So was this your fourth time racing it or your fifth time racing it? Yeah, it was my fourth time racing it. So just, you know, to so if anyone doesn't know, you set the record on the Colorado Trail in 2016, which still stands three days, 19 hours, 40 minutes. This year, four days, three hours, seven minutes. So you missed your own record of seven hours by about seven hours. I'm curious, going into this race, what what were your goals? Were you trying to take down your own record, racing against yourself? What what were your goals going in? No, uh, goal was just to finish. That's always the goal. Number one goal, just get to Denver uh, in one piece. Yeah, you know, whenever I start a route or a race like this, I don't think about the record beforehand. I think about finishing. I think about going as fast as I can, going as swift as I can, you know, uh, riding my own ride and not really getting caught up in a, in a race. But oftentimes I find myself like doing pretty well and I'll just kind of go with it and be like, all right, I, 
I got to just keep going, go a little bit harder here, a little bit harder there. So, but yeah, in general, there's never really like, oh yeah, I'm going out to break the record or I'm going out to win. Cause it's, I mean, I don't know. Does it take some of the fun away or does it just too much pressure to be thinking about it? It's, it's another, it's definitely another stressor for sure. But I don't know. There's like always super strong riders out there. Like you never know what can happen out there. And I don't want to disappoint myself, you know? Yeah. I just don't want to have to deal with that, that extra element of, all right, I'm going out to break a record. What is your mindset going into a race like that? Just, I'm going to do my best every single day, every minute. Like, how do you break that down? I try to just break it down into days. Like, all right, I'm just going to try to get to this location on day one. And if I don't, oh, well, if I get past it, well, pretty cool. Great. Uh, but yeah, just mindset is just to enjoy, enjoy the, the moment, enjoy the experience, being able to ride your bike at night over mountain passes with the stars, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool experience and you might not be motivated to do that just for fun, you know, or just on your own, like a random night, you know, it's not, it's not something that, uh, is easily done without, um, the pressure of a race or something yeah. like that. So that's kind of my, my motto, I guess. And I don't think anything's going to change. It probably is going to get even more lax. I, I hope to, maybe even enjoy myself a little bit more with upcoming races down the road. Like, you know, not worrying about winning or, uh, you know, after I, after I'm out there and I'm in first, sometimes I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? I'm in first and I'm just going to keep hammering down. And I don't know, sometimes that's more stressful too. So I don't know. It's a tough, it's a weird mindset, but at the same time, it's not, an important thing for me to like go into a race with the mindset of setting a record or winning. Cause it's kind of trivial. Yeah. Well, I like, I mean, that's nice to hear. sounds like you just, uh, you go into it, you, with your best intention, your best effort. And if you walk away with a win or, you know, a record or something, it's like, yay, <laughs> it's just bonus. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think the biggest part of it is training and the amount of or the effort I put into training will definitely translate to the effort or the experience out in during the race or in the field. That's my next question. So yeah, just let's let's talk about your training specifically for this year's event. What do you recommend? What did you do? I had a coach, uh, Linda LW Coaching. She's awesome. She uh, she coaches like specifically around uh, bike packing ultras and just. Uh, you know, long distance races. She does, she'll, she'll have, um, programs for, for shorter races and stuff like that. But I got to say real quick, Neil, I saw you were using LW coaching and I was like, is this Lael Wilcox coaching? And, uh, it's not. So maybe you could oh, say who no. LW no. is just to clear the record. <laughs> for sure. Linda Wallenfalls, she, uh, she's been coaching, bike packing or ultra athletes for a really long time. She's done a bunch of uh, these ultras, especially, you know, as they just started back in 2010 or so. Um, she doesn't do too much of that anymore, but she's just an adventure athlete. She's awesome. She understands the human body. She understands what folks uh, that take on these types of races uh, need to do to prepare for. So she's awesome. And we... 
I started using her about two years ago and um, to get prepared for the Tour Divide because I had a bout of races that I was just not doing a great job of. Uh, just I wasn't proud of myself. that It wasn't a great kind of year of racing for me. And I wanted to, I was like super motivated and I wanted to do a, a good job of, you know, I just wanted to perform better. And so I, I hired her and she just really helped set me straight. And uh, we have been doing everything from just, you know, intervals. I guess in short, she motivates me to like actually get out and do stuff. And that's what I needed. I didn't have that type of uh, motivation. And I needed that because I knew that A, I, I was a relatively strong rider, but B, I had potential of doing great things and I just didn't have the motivation. So hired her and and we're going to do um, a program around the Tour Divide and that didn't happen. COVID hit and all that. So uh, basically I was training for something that I didn't know what was, what it was going to be for basically about a year and a half. And I decided probably a month and a half or two months before the Colorado Trail Race, we're going to do that. So we kind of structured the training plan a little bit more around high altitude, single track, hike a bikey riding. So that's what she can do. She'll, she'll work with like the gravel side of things, tour divide, and then uh, more single track oriented stuff. But in general, we did a lot of interval training, a lot of long rides, a lot of core work, a lot of yoga, and um, just she really preached like sleeping, taking care of your body and stuff like that. So um, she's a great coach and I highly recommend her. What about uh, nutrition? Does she work with you on that at all? Or what's your approach to nutrition? At the start of coaching, she definitely, like we had a 48 hour period where I had to write down what kind of food I was eating. And I basically kind of, I eat a lot of just like not healthy food, like not healthy food, but all of burgers and brats and standard mountain biker diet, right? Pizza and beer. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah, exactly. That was one thing like, all right, you, you need to cut your alcohol intake back. Cause I love IPAs and I was probably having an IPA every night, but guess what? You gotta, you gotta cut it back. So I dedicated my IPA drinking to the weekends only and no alcohol during the week. And that was super helpful. And I just felt better. And yeah, I just like was more toned and stuff like that. So between my diet and just her telling me what works and what doesn't, we got in a good spot. And um, that's forever changed me too. I think it, it will forever change the way um, I eat and, and consume alcohol and all that. But she definitely knows what she's talking about. And um, she was a huge help for sure. What about your bike? As I was looking back at your just history, it doesn't seem like your bike has changed that much o over the years. You you run uh, a pretty similar setup that you did maybe even eight eight years ago. You want to talk a little bit about your setup because it seems pretty well dialed and you've kind of figured that out. I think in 2012 when I did it, I did I did it on a Trek Fuel EX, and it was a 26 inch trail bike kind of, uh, it was, it was a great bike. It was really fun and it was a full suspension bike. And I really enjoyed my time on the trail with a full suspension bike because it is so much more comfortable. So for some weird reason, the next year I did it on a hardtail and I was just beat up. It was just not a good idea. And yeah, so 
the other three times I've done it, I've done it on a salsa spearfish. And basically the setup has always been the same, you know, a little bit of a seat pack, frame bag, you know, a top two bag, maybe a stem bag here or there and, and a small little handlebar roll. And I've just, yeah, I've, I've kind of mixed and matched a few like things from bag to bag, but it's generally speaking, it's always been, you know, the exact same setup and it's just, it's worked for me in the past. So one of those things where like, why, why change it? You know, I assume on Colorado trail, you're not running a dynamo. You're, you're going with batteries or rechargeable lights. I mean, yeah, I ran a dynamo in, uh, 2014, I believe, it just didn't work very well. You know, it, it could have charged a battery pack and then that battery pack could have charged my lights. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, I could just carry a battery pack to help charge my lights or just carry some batteries some rechargeable batteries along the way. Uh, you know, the race is four days or so, um, for me. So why use a dynamo and the dynamo just doesn't work. You know, the light itself doesn't work when you're going so slow uphill when you're going. 2.5 miles an hour and your granny gear it's like yeah it isn't working so that's kind of the reason why i don't use a dynamo for single track heavy hike a bike heavy routes like uh colorado or arizona trail totally makes sense what about pedals are you running clipless or are you running flat and why yeah i've always used clipless pedals having that body position aligned in the exact same location every time is probably better. I don't actually know, say if I'm using a flat pedal and, you know, the Q factor or, or my foot is placed a little bit further out and then I start dealing with knee pain. I'm like, how did that happen? And I'm, I'd probably be like, oh, my foot's a little bit further out than normal. So yeah, having those cleats aligned in the same spot on each side and then clipping in, you know, to those pedals uh, in the exact same spot every single time you clip in. Your body's used to it. Your body knows. Uh, those muscles know what they're supposed to be doing. So I've always used, I've always just used Shimano XT or XTR pedals, the the traditional pedal, and they've worked well for me in the past and no reason to change that up now. So what shoe are you wearing on the Colorado Trail? Because obviously tons of hike a bike, um, but you want to be clipped in too. So what, what are you running? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I this year I used the uh, Perlazumi X Alp Launch Summits, and that shoe's great. It's got a really nice flex at the toe. It's got some decent tread to it, so that you can hike with it. It feels more or less like a regular hiking shoe with a little bit of a stiffer shank just right over the that pedal, so that the power transfer is there. You know, you have a little bit more power transfer than say a regular you know flat or regular shoe. So that's what I went with, and they're in really good shape. Uh, and that's actually a review I'm about to do on on the YouTube channel because I'm really pleased with those shoes, and they worked really well for me. And uh, they're yeah, they they held up, which is something that isn't very easy to do uh, with a shoe when you're basically racing for four days straight, especially when you're hiking your bike. You're like really trying to make really swift moves. Sometimes you're tripping. So you're putting a lot of pressure on that on that shoe, a lot of stress on that shoe, but it held up really well. And I've been using the Pearl Azumi X Alp series in some way, shape, or form on the trail for I think three or four goes now, and they've they've worked really well for me. 
Did you read Alexandra? I know you interviewed her, but she also did a, uh, a Logan Watts interviewed her for bikepacking.com. I read an article. Did you read her response to her shoes? She didn't like the flat 510. She hated them. <laughs> Isn't that funny? She wants it. She likes the boots, but the boots, she said the boots are not in good shape either right now. Yeah. So, well, the boots lasted a lot longer. The boots last her like four or five years. Um, and those shoes only last her one race. Um, She's awesome. She's aw- I love I love the honesty. Uh, I love the honesty. Yep. I love every yeah, she's just one, a wonderful person and great for our sport. Yeah, so for people listening, y'all need to go check out uh, your interview with her over on YouTube, which is excellent. She's just a gem. What about single speed versus geared? Especially on the Colorado Trail race. This is one where you know, there's a lot of hike bikes, so maybe shed a little bit of weight on the pushing less things to break, but you've always gone geared. What do you think about that? I've always gone geared. I think I want to try single speed, but I've gone geared just because, yeah, having, you know, there's a lot of topography in Colorado. So conforming that topography with your your gear is helpful. You go faster. Uh, It's clear in kind of the, the finishing results. But I think Alexandra, she's kind of, motivated me a little bit to uh, try new things. So I actually just ordered a single speed. I ordered a few cogs and a chain. And I'm going to set up a bike single speed just because because uh, she's awesome and she motivated me to do that. But in general, you know, yeah, she mentioned and uh, Justin Dubois mentioned that when you're riding single speed, it's instead of racing against other people, you're kind of racing against yourself. You're You're not involved in the race against other geared riders because, well, they have an advantage. They have a mechanical advantage. So if you're riding single speed, you're just kind of riding and racing against yourself and sure other single speed riders, but uh, typically the, you're not very close to another single speed rider out there unless you're riding with someone or something like that. But yeah, so I, that takeaway is pretty cool because for me, I'm always trying to not stress out about races as much because it's like not worth it. But I always do because I put a lot of pressure on myself. And in general, it's a big undertaking and it's stressful. And so, yeah, being starting, you know, a race like that single speed would probably be uh, would probably be pretty awesome. Well, we'll have to follow up on that one. It sounds like after you've had some miles on the single speed, but I like, I like what they said, man. I totally, I converted my Fargo to single speed probably about a year ago or so now. And I just absolutely love it. And I'm so tempted to convert all of my bikes to single speed for that reason. I think I I, I never really kind of, it never came to fruition in my mind until you, that you mentioned that, but yeah, it's just, you're not riding anybody else's ride. You're, you're just, you have one gear and you got your legs and your physical fitness and that's all you got. It does the opposite of what you think it might do where it does just take the pressure off. Cause you're just like, well, this is all I got. So what else are you going to do? Yep. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. And I think one one thing, like I've never broken a chain on the Colorado Trail, and I've, I've only broken a chain once really or a few times on geared bikes, but it does take that that aspect away, which is kind of a nice thing. It eases your mind a little bit, just one gear. And if you can't ride it, if the pitch is too too steep, you know, with a geared bike, you're shifting and trying to like make it work, you just jump off and start walking. And it's just... It's simple. And I think there's a lot of times where I think Justin said this. He was like, 
actually you're, you're riding quite a bit more because you know what you can ride and you know what you can't ride. And so with geared bikes, you're like, you're trying to like make it work. And oftentimes you like slip or, or something happens and you're just on and off your bike. So he said there's more consistent on and consistent off instead of you jumping on and off and on and off. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Bailey Newbury said a similar thing, right? If you have the gears to push yourself, you're going to push yourself. And what it did to him was it blew up his Achilles. And so he wasn't able to ride as much because he had pushed himself too hard. So yeah, if you get to a pitch, you can't climb it, you get off. Well, now you're using different muscles. You're giving other muscles a rest. So it, it's a fun conversation to have, you know, uh, um, yeah. about single speed versus geared. And I'm always interested in it. Hey, I wanted to, you brought up your, um, your fear, your anxiety, the, the pressure you put on yourself going into a race. And earlier you had talked about how you were more nervous going in the Colorado trail than you were for uh, being a new father. So what, what kinds of things are you stressing about? What's going through your mind that stresses you out or worries you? You know, that's a good question. I think it's just, everything. A lot of it might be just past experiences. I think that's probably what creates most of it. Just like having maybe past success and putting more pressure on myself to do well. You know, the weather, don't want to have to deal with lightning and huge storms and that's going to happen no matter what. Uh, Making sure you have all the parts to repair your bike because you don't want to be the person that's stuck at 13,000 feet with a broken bike and calling, you know, search and rescue and being physically prepared for an event of this magnitude. And, and that can be resolved by putting in the time. And, and that's, you know, that helped this year, but yeah, it's, it's just a culmination of things. And it's, and I don't have anxiety really uh, normally. So it was just, in, it's always been induced by these races. And I don't know, I think I just, I might just put, put a lot of pressure on myself. So that's, yeah, I think that's kind of the main, the main reason behind it. Listen, I mean, what you're doing is hard, very difficult. And like you said, you've, um, you have the experience, so you know exactly what you're putting yourself into. Right. Um, do you think that, you know, some of the, the, I don't, I don't know the right word is stress or anxiety or whatever, but is some of that just probably a healthy attitude to have going into something like this? I mean, giving it the respect that it deserves and making sure you're actually ready. I mean, maybe it's good to be a little bit worried going into it. For sure. I think you're right, actually. And I know that it's good to be a little worried, have a little anxiety beforehand. And I think, yeah, I think maybe that's all of it, to be honest. And and I just might not be good at dealing with it. And that's why I don't, I mean, I can't, I can't do these things one after the next because it's just, it doesn't work for me. And, and that's fine with me. I don't want to not only hard on mentally, but hard physically. I think it's totally normal. And I think if, if you don't have that anxiety or that feeling going into a race like this, then something's maybe a little off. But if you can uh, go into it like that, then good on you. But I, I just can't. <laughs> Well, you raced under a pseudonym this year, Ned Bachenko. Did that have anything to do with maybe taking a little bit of the pressure off? Oh, yeah. That was the sole reason. Just like, let's not take yourself so serious, Neil. Let's just have some fun with this. So that definitely, yeah, that helped for sure. And it it was just kind of an ode to Bicycle Pubes, which the Instagram Instagram account's no longer there. 
and uh yeah that and just and kind of like going back to like what he uh bicycle pubes has always kind of been about is just the mental health side of things and just trying to um you know advocate for that so yeah i think that was kind of the main reason behind it and just have a little fun with it because really it's these rides are supposed to be fun and once you get out there the anxiety goes away and you're like all right we're good so I don't want to like stress people out about all the anxiety beforehand, uh, putting pressure on yourself because I know a lot of people don't, uh, put pressure on themselves before these events. I do just cause, but once you get out there, totally fine. Like I don't, I don't, I don't deal with that stuff unless, unless it is like a neck and neck race. And then I'm like, all right, well, this is like in the moment stress. That's a little different. So yeah, I'm not losing sleep over, uh, over that for sure. No, you know, I don't think you're coming across like that. I mean, I think it's good to have a healthy respect for these challenges. And we, we talk a lot about on the podcast. I mean, the time to prepare for an event is before the event, you know, get all your, your anxieties, get all your equipment, get all your training. I mean, the time is before, and then when you're out there, you can, you can just enjoy it. You know, that's kind of the point. You racing as Ned was fun. I, you know, I can tell you just in the background, I was getting a lot of messages on social media. Is this Neil? I mean, you know, quite a few messages and people figured you out pretty quick. And then uh, bikepacking.com, I think a yeah. couple of days in the race, you know, spilled the beans, but it added a, an extra, you know, as a dot watcher, there's not a lot to watch. You know, you're watching a dot and uh, maybe some Instagram right. posts and stuff like that. And so it did add an extra element of fun for a dot watcher to be like, okay, who's this mystery guy? And I had posted on Instagram, like I had an eyeglass looking on Ned Bachenko. I'm like, all right, we're looking at you. Who are you? <laughs> so it was fun, man. Yeah, we appreciated yeah. it. I did that uh, on the Arizona trail. I did an ITT on the Arizona trail this year too, just cause they swapped the race over to October and I wanted to race in the spring, there was like a whole crew of people that did that. Alexandra did that. And Justin did that with a, a potato pseudonym. And I, I did that with just a, a different name. So I don't know. We'll see if, I don't know if Neil will ever come back on the, on uh, track leaders. I think it's fun. So I, we, we talked about Hefe Branham and he was a huge impact in, in your um, racing career and in bikepacking and stuff. I actually had him on the podcast just a couple weeks ago after um, this year he took down the single speed uh, first place um, for Colorado Trail. Talking through uh, his race this year, well, I told him, I was like, I'm going to interview Neil, so I'm going to ask him this, but he talked about that first night in Silverton you know, that's basically the, the defining moment in the race. And, and you had looked like you had a little bit of a lead going into Silverton and you pushed on into some, what ended up to be some pretty rough weather and everybody else just decided to hold back in Silverton. So from your, from your perspective, I'd like to hear your side of that story and how that went down. Dude, that was the crux for sure. That was not, uh, not the, the easiest moment on, uh, on a bike for me at all. Yeah, so basically when I got into Silverton, it started raining pretty hard when I got into Silverton and um and I was like, all right, well, yeah, this is it's it was like 4:30 or 5 o'clock, and I was like, yeah, it's about about time for it to rain. It hadn't rained on us all day, which was pretty lucky. And I left Silverton and it was drizzling on us a little bit. And then as I went, made my way over to Stony Pass, which is basically just this super steep road that takes you back up to the Colorado Trail because 
that whole section going into Silverton is a wilderness detour. Bikes aren't allowed on wilderness areas, but it also gives us the opportunity to refuel on food, which is awesome. So it's not the Colorado Trail, but it's a it's a Colorado Trail wilderness detour for bikes. So this road brings us up to the Colorado Trail again. And basically, once I got back on the actual single track trail, it just started dumping rain. And it was raining, kind of drizzling all the way up. And I had my rain jacket on and I took it off and I took it on and off. And it was, I just started laughing at myself on that, on that climb, uh, just cause I was like, yeah, this is, am I gonna have to take my rain jacket on and off again? And I just kept doing that, uh, that whole climb. And you know, rain jackets, climbing in rain jackets, you're always hot and it's just like muggy and not, not comfortable. But once I got to that point on the trail, it just started really raining hard. Big cracks of thunder. Like I didn't see any lightning or anything like that, but the thunder was definitely off in the distance and it kind of just echoes through all the mountains and those valleys. So it, you never really know where it's at, but luckily the thunder subsided, but the rain just, it was just a constant steady rain, really low clouds. I was in the clouds and the wind was just like whipping sideways. And so like five miles into that section, I was like, I was soaked, basically. There was nothing else I could do. Like I had all of my layers on and I got to a point where I was like... And sorry, Neil, what kind of temps are you dealing with up there? Yeah, it's 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 probably like low 40s at this point. So it's not it's not warm at oh, okay. all. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole nother thing. Yeah, and, and you're, I'm at 12,500 feet and I have to go up to the high point that night, which is at... 13,200 feet. And so I'm like starting to worry a little bit. I'm like, all right, A, I'm freezing cold. B, I'm soaking wet. C, I'm, I have to endure this for like 25 more miles. So I like stopped. I got off my bike and I was like, all right, I'm turning around. I turned my bike around. I need, I was like, I'm going back to Silverton because A, I'm much closer to Silverton than I am to the other side of the pass or that high point. And B, I was like, all right, I'm probably going to be able to just get some shelter and get some food or just hang out down there. And then the other side of me was like, Neil, if you go back to Silverton, you're not going to finish this race. You're going to be done. You're backtracking. And so I swapped my bike back then around. It, then you've kind of taken yourself out of the race in your mind. Yeah, exactly. It's like not ideal. I've already been, I've already lost a ton of time, like taking my rain jacket on and off. And the trail is super, super sloppy. I can't see in front of me like 10 feet because of the, because of the, the, the clouds and the fog. And it was kind of like, you got yourself there. Now you got to get yourself out of it. (laughs) I got to get myself, I put myself in this situation. That's why everybody stopped in Silverton. I didn't know that at, you know, I would, I kept looking behind me for lights like, all right, they've got to be creeping up on me because I'm going really slow. And yeah, I turned, I turned my bike to Silverton and then I was like, nope. Neil, you need to, you need to keep going. And so I had a, I had a hard talk with myself and, uh, turned the bike around and continued on. And to my surprise, you know, it didn't, it didn't get any better for a while, but then it dried up. Uh, and I could tell where the monsoon moisture hit and where it didn't hit. And the further, the further on I went, it was dry. Um, and, And that was awesome. And that was just like a huge mental boost for me. I was still cold. Like I was wringing out my hands, like trying to warm them up, get the blood to the tips of of my hands. My toes were like numb. And yeah, just dealing with that really sucked. But I eventually made it to, uh, to Spring Creek Pass, which 
it's a pass, but it's actually lower than the, the high point of the Colorado Trail. And uh, there's like a, a pit toilet there. And I got there at like four o'clock and uh, just kind of hung out in, in the bathroom for about an hour and a half. I tried to sleep, didn't really sleep, but I hung my clothes, tried to like wring out my clothes uh, and just stay warm. It was probably like, what, five degrees warmer in there than it was outside. So that was nice, even though it smelled like poop. And uh, yeah, it- uh, No wind. Yeah, yeah, no wind. Right, exactly. That whole stretch, that whole, that monsoon moisture died down by the time I was there at four in the morning anyways. But at the same time, yeah, it was nice to have a little shelter for sure. Wow. So that was like a, almost a 12 hour push between Silverton and yeah. uh, that hut or not the hut, but the, I call yeah, it I think, the pit toilet. <laughs> yeah. The pit toilet. No, you're right. I mean, it, it, by the time I woke up or left that pit toilet, it was 12 hours uh, since I left Silverton. So I think that that stretch is only like 30 miles. So it's not much riding, but it's all above 12,000 feet. Uh, or so, and um, it's not easy. But I think doing it from Durango to Denver, at least that stretch is much easier because you descend a really gnarly hike a bike instead of climb one. So okay. um, I forgot that, that that area was a little bit easier in, in that direction. So in that moment at 12,500 feet, what what is more concerning? Is it more of like a safety factor that you're worried about or is it a discomfort that is the prevailing thing that might, you know, what is the thing that's going to send you back to Silverton? You know, you were fighting something there. What was it that was the main thing? Yeah. Or was it just a culmination of everything? <laughs> it was my safety. It was, so my education on my Knowles course that I took back in 2008, they really punch in your head risk management. And so that was, that was the thing that uh, was kept circling around my head. Like, are you doing the right thing for yourself? Are you putting yourself in danger? And these bikepacking races in general, you're putting yourself in danger, but it's kind of still in a controlled setting. You, you're riding typically to your limits. Typically, you're going to endure you know, uh, a lot of hardship out there. But you add the element of something that almost you can't control, which is weather. You can control it in the fact that you can avoid it uh, by hunkering down or you could push through it. And so that was the thing. I was putting myself in danger, but really it, yeah. In hindsight, like right now I'm, I'm to myself, I'm saying, Oh, that wasn't that bad, but I need to keep reminding myself. Yes. I, I almost, I turned my bike around at one point because I felt scared. What was the danger? The, the cold, the lightning, what was the biggest danger for you? Yeah. Hypo hypothermia was like on my mind. Um, so if I stopped, if I bivvied up, I was thinking, all right, I'm going to bivy up up here. Then I was worried about hypothermia. And I've taken like a bunch of wilderness. I was, I had a wilderness first responder for like 10 years. And I just like, all of this stuff has been ingrained in my head. Uh, so just trying to put myself in like a shoes that, or at least put myself in a situation where what what's the worst case scenario here uh, and how can I avoid it? And that was that was the thing that popped up in my head, like turn around, go downhill. But then I was like, oh, if I go downhill, it's going to be freezing cold. Like I'm not going to be able to warm up. So honestly, the best thing I could have done was push on, uh, climb on, and it it ended up working out really well for me. I got lucky, but um, who knows if if the storm would have kept on? Like I if I was 
where I'd be or what, you know, what would have happened. But yeah, it's, it's like Hefe and I were talking about on our podcast where it's up to everybody's individual threshold for danger or, you know, whatever. I mean, you have to access your own abilities and your own risk tolerance. That's what I'm trying to think, your own risk tolerance uh, in that situation and make the best decision for yourself, which again speaks to coming into these events prepared. You know, that's, that's one thing I want people to take away from, especially an event like the Colorado trail is it's not one you want to just sign up for all willy nilly. You know, you want to, you want to really have a respect for, you know, the, the environment really is what it comes down to that terrain. I, I've never done it, but I'm pretty familiar with it as a person who's never done it. Um, and it's, it's a gnarly, yeah. it's a gnarly course with real hazards and even like Man, what about, um, one question I got was about like bears and, and mountain lions on the Colorado Trail. Is that much of a concern? Yes, in the fact that it always should be a concern if you're out west, uh, bears and mountain lions can even, yeah, it's it, it should always be on your mind. I didn't see a bear this year. I've never actually seen a mountain lion uh, in general, um, knock on wood, but they're there and they can definitely play a part. That's why I really do like to sleep in pit toilets because I don't want to have to put my food in one spot, especially when I'm racing. Um, so trying to, yeah, trying to avoid, avoid that in general. Oh, that's an interesting pro tip. So you always, you know, so every time you have an opportunity, are you like planning to try to sleep in a pit toilet? No, I, I think just in that first night, like that, that's kind of where I was hoping to get. And it ended up being really early in the morning. It takes one element out of the equation. So, um, it, it totally yeah, helps, it makes but sense. the other two nights I, I, it didn't work out that way. So I, you know, I slept, um, outside, but yeah, I, it's always on the, on the top of my mind and, and wildlife always should be cause we're in their terrain and We've got to respect it. What is your food management system whenever you go to sleep at night? Um, where do you put your food and how do you try to stay safe? So all of it's in my top two bag or in my backpack. So the backpack, you know, I'll hang up on a tree kind of high. And then the top two bag, I'll just keep it in my top two bag. And um, and yeah, and I won't sleep directly next to my bike, but it'll be pretty close. I mean, I probably should do a better job, but if I'm bike packing normally, I'll definitely put all of my food in one of my dry bags and just hang it up on a tree away from camp. But at the same time, I'm also not... And no know, food in your tent, right? No food in the tent. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, you know, I'm not... Uh, I don't have a stove when I'm racing. I'm not creating a scent that, you know, versus just eating out of a, you know, a wrapper or something like that. That's so. a good point. Yeah, you're not cooking up a sausage in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. Man, I can imagine you know, since you've been doing this a long time and also in your role at bikepacking.com that you get a lot of questions about ultra endurance racing. Do you know off the top of your head, what is the number one question that you get and and what's your answer to people? Oh man. Um, it's a lot of random, not that's okay. (laughs) It's, it's a lot of random questions. It's all on Instagram or Facebook messenger. It's pretty fun. I love, I love helping people out. You know, bike is a is a big thing. Tire choice, uh, sleeping bag slash uh, pad is a big question I get. 
nutrition recently is a really big one. Like how many calories do I carry or how much should I be eating at one time? That's a, that's a really big one. Let's talk about that one. That's, that's an interesting thing that I I've talked to other endurance athletes about is, you know, fueling these big efforts on not the best caloric intake, you know, you're not eating the best food and you're trying to push your body to the extreme. So what are your thoughts about getting the right amount of calories to sustain a a big effort like this? Yeah, usually I just go for like, and this is Linda recommends um, like 200 to, well, she doesn't recommend 200. She recommends 300 calories a hour. I kind of know my body a little bit more now and 200 to 250 is what works for me to keep me sustained, keep me going. So that's kind of what I stick with. So when I'm like doing math to start the race, like, all right, I need, you know, some odd ca- calories to get to Silverton in 12 hours. Uh, and then I'll have to do more math from Silverton to Buena Vista because that's the next long stretch. So I do that math in my head or I'll even take out my, you know, my phone and just calculate, all right, how many hours do I anticipate being out there? And then how many hour and then how many calories do I need to get from point A to point B? So that's important. And then obviously always just having extra calories is it can't hurt. Sure, it's weight, but you don't want to be out there without food um, for a while. So so that's kind of my philosophy. Especially get stuck. Oh yeah. It's not not a bright idea. So just bring extra food. So yeah, that's my philosophy. What about um can you talk about uh, the type of calories you're taking in and not just the quantity? I mean, some calories are obviously better than others. Is that something you you look at? Yeah. You know, when I'm out there, it's not as important. It's kind of like, all right, what what looks good? Because oftentimes your stomach isn't isn't like excited about some foods and it is excited right. about other foods. Uh, in general though, you know, you want, you want to replenish all those carbs that you're burning and I guess also some proteins to, to help heal. But at, at the same time for me, it, it, that doesn't really matter as much. So normally what I go for, you know, I'll start with like bars and just like the regular traditional trail snacks. But then once, you know, once I got to Silverton, it was like, all right, I want some, like, I want some more real food. So um, I'll get, I'll get those bars, but I'll also get, you know, we'll start like looking at candy bars and then, and it, this isn't real food, but, um, gummy bears and just like stuff that starts to look a little bit better. And then like potato chips, like that's a great one. You can crumple up potato chips really tight and just like mow them down when you stop. Um, Fritos, like stuff like that. So yeah. And then obviously like subs or sandwiches or um, wraps, stuff that prepared food that's at convenience stores, that stuff is great. And that keeps pretty well too. So like you could throw it in your backpack for a few hours and then have it trail side after a while, take it out of the packaging when you're at the, at the store and like wrap it up in like a plastic baggie or if like you bring a Ziploc baggie, that's always a good idea. So yeah, it's basically just like, all right, what do I feel like eating right now? Let's talk real quick about your um, how you personally deal with sleep deprivation. Some people can ride through the night; it's it's easier for them. Some people really struggle. What are, what's your approach to that? Like, how do you deal with that? Well, I think one thing you know, it's helpful to experience the darkest depths of sleep deprivation 
to like almost your limit, but not getting to that limit. So I've, I've dealt with quite a bit of this after a while you start to, you know, see things and you're just like, all right, well, this is normal. You know, I'm seeing like a weird face on a tree or, um, this rock looks like an animal or is that a person up ahead? No, it's like a weird bush, like stuff like that. Like you have to understand is your brain is seeing this because it's tired and it, it is starting to relax too much. When that happens, I always tell people go to bed. It's time to go to bed. Um, if you're looking to stay up, uh, through, you know, an evening or something like that, um, caffeine is huge. You're going to want to drink caffeine, uh, eat caffeine. I bring cliff shots. Those are great. They taste good. And then a bunch of them have, you know, a certain set of caffeine per, uh, per serving. So I'll just down three. They got the cups on there. So it makes it exactly. I'll down like three cliff shots real quick. uh, And that'll get me by for like an hour and a half, two hours, maybe even longer, depending. And yeah, uh, just kind of taking it one step at a time, you know, listening to your body. I just, I basically kind of just figure out when I need it, when I don't. Um, I definitely taper caffeine before trips, uh, before, not before trips, but before races so that the caffeine actually works when I, when I actually need it. So the first day out there, I, I didn't even drink any, I, I think I had like 15 milligrams of caffeine that first night because a, I tapered beforehand. I didn't need it. Uh, adrenaline. I was just, I was feeling good, but then, you know, further on, down the race, I needed more, more caffeine night two, night three, night four, night four. I was basically, I had to nap on the side of the trail a few times. Cause I was like, I caffeine wasn't working anymore. So those are a few tips, but in general, when, uh, when you're at that moment where you're starting to see things, I, I good general rule for most people is to, uh, is to get some, get some shut eye. Yeah, for sure. Harking back to, you know, playing it safe and coming home safe, man. You don't want to, you don't want to be the person that has to hit your spot tracker and have someone come get you, you know? Exactly. Yep. Well, uh, listen, dude, um, as a father, my uh, daughter is getting dropped off here soon. So pretty soon you'll know about these games. Oh, yeah. Um, I appreciate you coming on so much, but I don't, I want to ask you one more question to kind of close it out. You know, again, you're, you've had a long career You've done, you know, multi-week trips like Tour Divide. You've done quite a few four to five day trips like, you know, Arizona Trail, Colorado Trail Race, and then also, you know, winter fat biking. I did a broad trail. I mean, you've you have a a lot of experience in a lot of different disciplines. I'm curious, like, what draws you to a certain event? Is it, you know, do you prefer one or over another, or how do you pick which one you're going to do, or you just like the variety, or you know, I think the biggest draw is just the remote feel. So not riding with cars is number one. Enjoying single track because that's my favorite style of riding is mountain biking. Beautiful landscapes, unknown terrain, big valleys, canyons, uh, rivers, you know, beauty. Um, I think there's so many amazing routes out there. Uh, between, you know, Colorado Trail and Arizona Trail, but just so many others, even on the East Coast, uh, Highland Trail. That's probably one of my favorites because it was foreign to me and it's an incredible landscape, amazing humans up in Scotland. Yeah. So uh, 
I, I think the biggest draw is just that remote feel, single track, heavy routes, and uh, just a general sense of adventure with uh, beautiful landscapes. I love that answer. I think that everyone can relate to that. You know, I mean, those are the things that really draws us to the outdoors is, is God, I get, so I'm, I'm scouting a new, uh, I'm, I'm holding a, my first ever race here in Texas and, you know, exploring new roads and, and finding new things and being able to share them with people is, it's just so exciting just getting to explore the world on a bike and see new cool and, and beautiful places. And, um, so I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that. I have to ask, you brought up the Highland Trail. It was one of my questions we didn't quite get to, but I might as well just ask real quick. Did you see Liam Glenn this year? Uh, yeah. Almost, he was like 30 minutes away. So again, you have the course record on the Highland Trail race, uh, the HT550 there in Scotland. And uh, Liam Glenn comes along this year on a single speed, fully rigid and, and comes rigid. 30 minutes away from... Yeah. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> That guy, he's strong. I saw that. I was watching. Yeah, I, the routes changed quite a bit too. So I need to go out there and and ride it again. And actually, I, I think I'd prefer to just tour it because I skipped past a bunch of really good food and and human interactions on that trail. And uh, I'd I'd really like to uh, to see that area again. But yeah, that was a that was a really outstanding effort by him. Well, you already have the record. So yeah, maybe you can go and tour it once for fun and, and, uh, just enjoy it. Yeah. What's, what's next for you, my friend? Do you have any, um, any more races on the menu or, or do you just wait till you get the bug? Like, how do you decide when to, when to sign up for another one? Yeah. They're, they now have been staggered. They're few and far between, especially with COVID now. Like I definitely don't have the urge to race, um, nearly as much. And I don't think there's, um, as much of a, I don't know, I, I don't, I can't speak for anybody else, but I don't think there's as much of a race draw as people used to have just due to COVID. And the fact that people kind of had this time to realize what they really love to do, or I guess kind of amend their plans without actually having to do events. And, I just, I really enjoy the, the, the fact of just touring and, and bikepacking and having fun, riding with friends, day rides, stuff like that. So I'll definitely do some more races down the road, but for now, yeah, uh, just enjoy myself. And I mean, there's always, you know, another Colorado trail on the, on the, uh, on the list just cause I live in Colorado, it's easy, but I, I probably end up doing the tour divide eventually. Yeah. But no real uh, urge to race at the current moment. Yeah. Well, you're fresh off and you got a, you got a new baby to look yep. forward to, man. Yep. You're about to char- start a whole new chapter of your life. So um, pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty excited. And uh, I saw on Instagram, you got a big uh, white or uh, shit. What's the Chicago White Sox? White Sox. Yeah, we're, 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 dude, it's, it's so fun. Like I, I love baseball because it's a team sport, but individually based. So like each sequence, there's a pitch, each sequence is a pitch and it's so, it's, it's really incredible to watch because the pitcher can pitch a different pitch every single time and place it around the strike zone in any variety of way. And then the batter has to guess exactly what pitch is coming to time the bat to the ball. So 
And then you add the element of actually fielding a ball or playing the ball and throwing it to a base to get an out. So baseball is just like, it's so amazing because there's so many different moving parts. It's an individual sport, but it's a team sport at the same time. And yeah, so I'm a huge White Sox fan. And tonight, actually, have you seen uh, the movie Field of Dreams ever? Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, so tonight, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, August, whatever it is, but they're playing a game that White Sox are playing the Yankees at in Iowa at the Field of Dreams Stadium. They built a different one, like right next to the regular field that's in the movie. So that's, it's going to be really cool. Like it's only, there's only going to be like 10,000 fans there, but they're playing a game out there and it's going to be great. So I'm, that's, that's what I'm doing tonight. Go White Sox and uh, tell Lindsay not to go into uh, labor tonight. Yeah, okay? that's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks, Neil, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the podcast. It's uh, great to get to chat with you again. And um, yeah, I just appreciate your time and appreciate everything you do uh, for the cycling community, man. Um, you're a legend. Well, likewise, Patrick, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, thanks for having me on. I think uh, for us ultra racers, we probably don't get as much recognition as we deserve just because what we're doing is pretty darn hard. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad you're interviewing a lot of a lot of us because it's uh, it definitely helps. So I appreciate that. Yeah, man, it's it's been awesome. So. All right. Well, I'm going to run and go be a dad. I'm going to put my dad hat on. Enjoy your day and uh, we'll talk soon, I hope. All right, Patrick. Thanks so much. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Neil for coming on the show today. It was a true pleasure, and I truly appreciate everything that you do to keep the stoke high with bikepacking, both in like your job and also, man, just being a great example and advocate for cycling and for the outdoors and for bikepacking. We are better because you are a part of this community, my friend. All right, well, once again, I would like to thank today's sponsors, Rockgeist and Quadlock. A great way to show your support for this show is by supporting the advertisers and the sponsors that support this show. And be sure to let them know that Bikes for Death sent you. Tell them Patrick said hey. All right, well, like I said at the beginning of the show, my next after-party episode is coming up with Andrew Onerma. This episode is going to be a live interview with Andrew and you as a patron will be able to ask questions in real time, participate in any way that you would like. If you're not familiar with Andrew, he and I had a three hour chat on the podcast already. So you can go ahead, go back and listen to that one. Uh, many thought it was a great interview and I personally enjoyed the heck out of it. You know, the guy is just all heart, all heart, and he's living an extremely purposeful life. I really respect him. He's such a great guy and, and a great um, ambassador of the cycling community. Not only an ambassador, an ambassador, but a doer. Like this guy is putting in the work. So really excited to catch up with him. If you want to be a part of that conversation and you're not already a patron, you know what to do. Patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. I've already recorded next week's Bikes or Death episode, and that one is going to be with The Parent Trap, also known as Chris and Marnie Plesko. Uh, They are the first tandem couple to ever complete the CTR on a tandem. 
Uh, they are parents. They are my age. They have kids that are about my age. And uh, these are my new heroes, uh, especially as Sarah and, Sarah and I just got our first tandem. We're like looking at them as, as our role models. So we had a really fun chat, truly enjoyed um, catching up with them. So that episode is coming next week for all you fine folks. Oh, and one final announcement about the East Texas Showdown. I just got a message yesterday from the park ranger that our event does not trigger the need for permitting. So I am going to be opening up the field from 50 to 100. There's already uh, like 42 people on the wait list. So it's pretty much already sold out there. I think there's eight spots left. So if you've been waiting in the wings for a chance to come out to East Texas and check out our roads and a little bit of East Texas, head over to bikereg.com and you can search there for East Texas Showdown and sign up. It's free. All right, everybody, that's enough for me. I hope everybody is doing well out there. I am finally getting over this stupid RSV cold virus, and I couldn't be happier. It is a motherfucker, I'll tell you that. And uh, y'all be safe out there. All right, everybody, you know what time it is. Now go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Bikes.